Good evening, my Bible study life crew. Good evening, and God bless you. Amen. Of course, you remember to like, comment, and share, and subscribe. All that other wonderful, fun stuff is another great time to come before you and do some Bible study. Isn't it amazing to be together once again? And I'm grateful. Let's bow our heads, let's pray, and then let's uh, get after it. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, we honor you, and we thank you. You are the magnificent, wonderful God, and we give you praise. God, we ask that you would just sit on this Bible study with your presence, your grace, and your illumination, and your revelation, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been in what I'm calling a kingdom series. And so earlier this year, we started off with, uh, we started off with the same me, talking about how God can bless you right where you are, and then we went from same to better, and as we explored better, then uh, we've been in a mode about the kingdom. Uh, we, we threw one uh, conversation about relationships in there, but thinking about the kingdom and what that means. So the first uh, sermon we dealt with was uh, King of Kings in there, and uh, I want to look at this definition that we used then that um, rings true now. Now, it, it actually is is written wrong because I forgot to change it. That's actually the definition for king, not kingdom. It's the definition for king, and it means the male ruler of an independent state, especially one who inherits the position by right of birth. And uh, one of the things that really jumped out to me is just the idea of the moment Jesus was born. That's the story of how God became king. It's by right of birth. And um, the beauty of what that looks like for us. And so uh, I don't think I have it in here now, but when we talked about King of Kings, the actual uh, Merriam-Webster dictionary uh, definition for that was a monarch over monarchs, or a monarch who has monarchs under him. So the idea is that we are the kingly people or the princes. We are those who are ruling under the big king. And so we're not just trying to live right so we can escape and go to heaven. We're actually trying to establish kingdom principles here on the earth, and we are ambassadors for Christ. We are uh, kings under him, kings and queens. Uh, we are royal priesthood. We actually are royalty. We are the best thing that this earth has left. Without us, without his people, this earth would be a mess. And so we want to rise up, and uh, we've talked about all the challenges and obstacles we've had just pursuing our faith, just trying to be what we, we, we need to be. But since we have had this type of pressure and this type of attack, we're understanding not only does God say we're special and great, we're understanding that the enemy believes we're special and great. So we want to rise up to that high level. Once again, if we're going to be attacked like kings and queens, we might as well act like them, respond like them, move and function like that. And so that's kind of what we've been tracking in and, and what we've been working on. And so we decided to start on Sunday morning by going to the familiar, um, our, uh, the prayer the, the, that's called the Lord's Prayer. The reason why we say called the Lord's Prayer, because the more accurate term for the Lord's Prayer would more likely be found in uh, John 17, where uh, Jesus is headed to the cross and you see the prayer that he prays. But this is the prayer when his disciples asked him, teach us how to pray. This is the prayer that he taught them, and we've called it the Lord's Prayer. And if you really study that prayer, it's not something just to repeat, even though people repeat it. It's actually categories. It actually lays out of how we should actually pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, in other words, we acknowledge his presence where he is, that he's above us. So that's why I usually start with, dear, gracious, heavenly Father. So we're showing respect. So I don't, I'm not going to break that prayer down now, but we're going to go into a piece of it to get to uh, where we're going. But that prayer, it really just, it, if you look at it, it's an outline of how to pray. So when people say, I don't know how to pray, if you look at it, it gives you a clear outline. And the first thing it shows you is before you ask for anything, you respect God for who he is, where he is, and what he is uh, there. So that's why if you would say, dear Heavenly Father, or dear whatever, you're acknowledging him first before you ask for anything. So let's uh, look at a portion of that 
And so this even proves and bears out what I'm saying. After this manner, therefore pray you, or this is the style, this is the outline. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so you're bringing respect and reverence to him right off the bat, understanding how important his name is. And uh, uh, when, when, we, when we take it into the context of the king, it reminds me of Esther and how in the days of Esther, she wasn't even allowed to go before the king unless the scepter was held out. You could, uh, if you showed up in the king's presence wrongly, irreverently, even though she had a, uh, a queen title, she couldn't just pop, pop up before the king. And she made up this statement that if I perish, I perish. I'm actually going to go before the king. Well, in our case, for us, the scepter is continuously held out for us. We are allowed to come into his presence anytime. But just because you are allowed to come into his presence don't mean you take that for granted. So when you come into his presence, especially purposely in prayer, you acknowledge him for who he is and hallowing his name or reverence his name, respecting his name is important. Now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, you can really be like, yo, daddy God, I need you. Just, hey, what's up? I mean, you, you can be informal, but the idea of hallowing his name is that no matter how informal you are in your conversation with him, in your mind, you understand this is the majestic God. This is the creator of the universe. I like to call him the CEO of the universe. So in my mind, I understand that I have no right being in his presence. The only reason why I'm in his presence is because of what my big brother Jesus did on the cross through the will of the Father. So there is a great high level of respect for his name, respect for his presence. So even though you're inviting God in, you don't always have to bow your head. You don't always have to close your eyes. You can just talk to God. You still ought to have some type of mindset to understand that I am reverencing God. Uh, customarily in churches, they used to shut doors and you couldn't enter into the sanctuary while they were praying. Uh, it was a way of respect and reverence. When uh, I became pastor, I wanted to change that because a lot of the people who are late, who didn't show up in time for prayer, they actually need to be in the prayer. So I say open the doors and allow people to come in and one of the reasons why people normally didn't like that because people come in talking and they disregard the presence of the Lord. But people like that, they actually need to be into prayer. So I was like, just, you know, let them on in. But people who have a respect for God, you don't have to tell them to reverence God. You don't have to tell them that prayer is going on. They automatically understand. They recognize, listen, I'm coming before the king. And because of him, I get to be kingly. So the last thing I want to do is disrespect and disregard his presence. And it also, to me, shows people who will not be on time to be in the presence of God. We all can run late, but people who are consistently late to church, it shows me a mindset that they're not reverencing the presence of God, that God doesn't have to do anything for you. Number one, what he did for you on Calvary is enough. He don't have to do anything for you, but you're breathing because of him. You have borrowed breath, borrowed time. Every day he gives you is a present. That's why it's called the present. And the older you get and the more you mature, the more you recognize and reverence the presence of God. And the more these type of lessons mean something to you because you're understanding I'm only royalty because he decided to share his royalty with me. I, I'm nothing. I should be the bottom of the barrel, scum of the earth, but he reached down and pulled me up to where I am, and now I don't take that for granted. I am very appreciative. When you look at uh, even ex-presidents who no longer occupy the right White House, there is a certain level of respect that they have. They even have for life some type of uh, secret service detail because they served the state as a president, as the one of the highest leaders in the free world. And if we can give man that presence, what uh, that type of respect and reverence, what about God? So I didn't mean to get off on that uh, soapbox, but it's important. So 
Let's look at it again, and then we'll move forward. After this matter, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So that's the very first category. So what is the very next category? The very next category is this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So the very next thing is, after we reverence God for who he is, reverence his presence, reverence where he's at in heaven, hallowing his name, all that, the next thing is, you're, it's okay to ask him for something. But the very first thing you ask is that his will be done and that his kingdom come. If you know anything about the prayer, it's later where it says, give us this day our daily bread. Many times when we come to pray, we're always asking him something first. God, I need you to fix my money. I need you to fix this. I need you to fix that. But there ought to be a mindset that I'm reverencing you first. And after that, your will be done. I want your will to be done because my will is secondary to your will. And we even see that with Jesus in the garden. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. We understand that Jesus actually was born to die. He came to die. But walking in this body and in this fleshly tabernacle, in this earth, he has the statement under extreme stress and pressure. If this cup can pass from me, if there's any other way, let it be so. We don't know exactly why he asked that. We don't know if it was him fearing the death. Most scholars believe is that he was fearing having to take on all the sin, being sinless, spotless, having to take all this on. The worst of the worst, he was going to have to take all that on and die a horrible, cru uh, uh, crucial death. So it's like, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Then he adds this, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I am a king, but I'm a king under you. Your will comes first. Your kingdom comes first. Your dominion, your domain, your power, that comes first. I submit my will to yours. And that's much of what the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in us is about, is to bring our flesh under subjection to we line up to his will. But the scripture says we actually need to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so there is a benefit is we're actually bringing heaven to earth, which is one of the things that we've been talking about. We're actually ushering in God's will to the earth because his will is the right will. His will is the right way. And whenever we are outside of his will, that's when things go wrong. So it's our job as we're reverencing him to be actually establishing his kingdom, his will, what he wants. Uh, Jesus said it this way. He said, lo, I come. I come in the volume of the book. I come to do your will. I'm showing up. I helped create the world. The Bible says throughout him, nothing was made that was made. So he helped create the world, but he was going to have to show up in a manger. He was going to have to come subject to hunger and pain. There's no reason why the second in command to the God of the universe or the son of God should have had to do that, but it was in line with the will of God because God had a plan. And so Jesus says, hey, I submit my will to the will of the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. So with that, that was our lesson. The lesson was kingdom come. Now, once again, uh, we may do like we did last week where we don't cover the whole sermon. We just get as much as we can because I really want to expound and deposit so that we're really tracking. In this series, I don't want us just to be hearing things. I want us to actually be catching stuff that shifts how we think about our Christianity, that shifts us from just doing just enough to get to heaven and that's it. So I, I want to go see my grandma who died. I want us to think broader than that, deeper than that. I want us to understand we're actually establishing the kingdom. We're establishing God's will on the earth. He's using us. We're nothing special, but he's using us to establish his will, his kingdom. And once again, like we've said several Bible studies, we're understanding that when this age ends and this world ends as we know it, there is a new age to come. There's a new heaven and a new earth. So what we're doing now reverberates for later on. So some of the things that we're doing, we may not see the reward on this side. It may be later, and it's not just a heavenly reward because there's going to be a new earth. 
And so the resurrection from the dead and having new bodies, the Bible talks about having a new body. So it says there are, there are heavenly bodies, there are celestial bodies, there are earthly bodies, they're different. So the people, and I'm, I'm getting a little uh, deeper than I want because it, it's good to, at some point, I'll give us a scripture and context for all that. But the Bible does talk about our body returning to dust, our spirit and souls going to God. But in the re- resurrection, it says that the bodies will actually be raised and then those bodies will be new bodies. They will be wrapped in immortality. Right now, they're wrapped in mortality. That's why when you die, they disintegrate. And when, if you were to dig up your loved one's casket, you're not going to find anything but bones because that body is not ready for the new age. So we're going to have new bodies. But why would God do that unless we're actually going to be doing something on the earth that's important in the age to come? Because if we're just going to be in heaven, all you need is your spirit and your soul. You don't need new bodies. So the resurrection means there's something going to be happening on this new earth that's important. And like I said last week, how we handle this earth now, what we do now is going to have ramifications for that new age. Now, I can't say I understand all of what that will look like. I just know God has been impacting me deeply that it's more than just sitting around in heaven floating on clouds. That next age is something powerful, and I'm trying to prepare our minds now so that we will be ready for that. We don't want to be on the outside looking in of whatever God is doing. So we're thinking about it now, talking about it now. What I'm talking about, uh, if you were to give it a term, it's actually called eschatology. It's the study of the end times. But most people, when they study eschatology, they're only talking about like uh, people going to hell, rapture. They don't go beyond that to what that new age would look like. Because because there is, you only get a glimpse of it, but it's really, it's really been just burning in me for several years. I don't know all, and maybe uh, God is going to show me more, but I'm on to something. And so that's why I keep telling you guys about it. This life that we're in is, just, the Bible says it's just a vapor. It's, it's only going to be a small piece to what that eternity is. And so I want us to think as in uh, I want us to think of eternity as more than walking on streets of gold. And there's a song that that people sing at funerals are like a lot. So I'm, I'm going to be walking around heaven all day. Well, it's actually more than that. How much more? I don't know. I don't, don't want to get too deep because I, I got some other stuff I want to get into. But um, there's billions. There's literally billions of galaxies. And in those billions of galaxies, there's planets. What we know up until this point is everything that's happened on planet Earth. That's all we know about. But what if in the age you come, God wants to do something in another planet? And will he use us to do it? There's going to be a new heaven, and new earth, but will we have access into these, all these galaxies? Like, he created them for a reason. Is it there just, just for us to look at a telescope and see, wow, there's a bunch of stuff out there? Or is there more going on? Will there be life in other places? And in those other places, will they need to know the Savior? Who will be the ones to do that? I don't know any of that stuff, but I have a, a suspicion that whatever God will do in those ages, he's going to use the people that he could trust right now. The people who pressed into him now, he's, those are the people he's going to use for ages and ages to come, all throughout eternity. Like, your name may mean something for all eternity just by decisions you're making right now. So I want us to think deeper and greater and larger. And when we look at Scripture in context and we look at the prophetic things that God spoke about, we have to understand it's really, really big. It's bigger than we can imagine. It's so big that when Jesus came, he didn't just snatch us all and take us to heaven. Like if that was all when he came, he could have just shut it all down and said, okay, I died on the cross. Uh, I paid for everybody's sins. Let's wrap this all up and boom, everybody's in heaven. 
He didn't do that. He allowed us to keep showing up to earth and keep showing up to a fallen earth and saying, hey, I've given you the tools to actually overcome in this earth. So it's, it's far beyond our imagination what God has really planned. And the scripture even says that. It's, it's like it's out there. And so let's get our mind wrapped around now that we are important to the earth. We are a part of the kingdom, and we're trying to bring the kingdom now, not just for what's happening now, but for eternity. So some of us, we think about heaven, and some of us are just thinking about, hey, only reason why I want to be saved is because I want to see my family turn around, which is awesome. But I want you to know it's deeper than that. Well, I want to be saved because I tried doing my business my way. It messed up. I want to try doing my business your way. Or I tried relationship my way. I want to try relationship your way. I want to let you know it's deeper than that. It's greater than anything that we can wrap our minds around now. So I'm speaking to our spirits that we are part of a kingdom and we want to be in the upper echelons of the kingdom. We thank God that we can be servants of God, but we don't want to just be servants. We actually want to be kings under the king. All right. Having said that, we're going to turn toward uh, the conversation that we started with on Sunday. So let's dig into that. So starting with Daniel chapter 2, this is a, I'll, I'll keep this side by side throughout the duration of this until I get to some, I added some pictures that I didn't bring in Sunday. So this is a very, very important passage of Scripture because what, this is one of the things that it does, and uh, I'll enlarge it for a second. This is one of the ways that we can prove the accuracy of the Bible because this is in Nebuchadnezzar's day, and he has this dream, and this dream lays out world history that we can actually trace back and look. Uh, some people will say science and the Bible don't jive together. So there's a lot of fights about that. And some scientists are turning and believing, no, we're starting to believe the scripture. Well, one of the things, the reasons why the Bible has been lauded so much, even people who don't necessarily believe in the theology, there are certain historical things that have happened that were spoken of and prophesied in the Bible. And without anybody knowing how could it have been laid out, and they can prove that it wasn't written after the fact. There are some things that they see in uh, Bibles that they can tell was added after the fact, for whatever reason. Translators added it after the fact, and so newer Bibles, newer versions, they'll have footnotes and say this is not in the original manuscript. But when you go to the oldest manuscripts, there are certain things that are there that track with history, like there's no possible way Anybody could have known this unless there is a higher power. This is one of those times uh, that the Bible was so accurate. So let's go to it. Daniel 2.29. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. Uh, so uh, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He wants to know what the dream means. He comes to his interpreters they're willing to interpret the dream, but when they ask him what he dreamed, he's like, I don't know what I dreamed. And they're like, how in the world can we interpret it if you can't at least tell us what you dreamed? You can't even remember what you dreamed. And he was basically like, off with all your heads. I'm killing everybody until somebody can interpret this dream for me that I can't remember. Daniel ended up showing up and being the one who could interpret the dream. So it starts like that. Then it says this, and it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. In your vision, vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. So now he's rehearsing the dream back to him that Nebuchadnezzar had forgot. He's rehearsing it to him and he's going to interpret it for him. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. 
Verse 35, the whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. Now, a few weeks ago, I referenced this uh, from the top of my head. I hadn't given you the scripture. So here's the scriptural context that goes to it. Uh, I'll show you in the scripture, but I will just reference it. That rock was the kingdom of God. And so the rock came small, come into the earth, struck this statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw. But Daniel goes on to say that rock grew until it became a, a huge mountain. And then it said it covered the whole earth, filled up the whole earth. Let's go back to the scripture. That was a dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. I like how Daniel used the plural, we will, because Daniel was trying to point to uh, them that, and to all, even all the interpreters, that I'm being instructed by God. This is higher than what you guys are dealing with. So they had interpreters and things who, people who could do things, but that usually comes from what you call familiar spirits, even psychics. Psychics do touch into the supernatural, but it's a lower level. It's not the high level that God has. And so demonic spirits can forecast the future. They can know things, but they come up to a certain place where they can only go so far. We see that in the plagues of uh, the children of Israel in Egypt and Moses. He would do things and the magicians would do things too. But it came to a point where the magicians could not duplicate what Moses was doing. They ran out because there is a higher level. So even when it comes to like psychics and fortune tellers, the Bible says that God's gift and callings, they come without repentance. So sometimes God gives a gift and he doesn't take it back. So there are some people that are gifted in certain things, but if they get twisted, they'll use those gifts for the wrong thing. But they come to a place where they can't reach that high level. They can't reach that kingdom of God level. So they were at a impasse where like, okay, we would interpret the dream, but you got to at least tell us the dream. But Daniel was like, no, I don't need any of that because God is speaking to me. And so then when he gets ready to interpret it, he says, we will. Let's go back to it. That was a dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. He was given credit to God because he knew that this was coming from God. I'll say this again. Daniel, uh, 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 Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which were their Babylonian names. They had other names. Their Hebrew names was Hadarah. Azariah, Hananel, and Hananiah, and Mishael, I believe. But anyway, when when you would get captured and, and Israel got captured, when they would do that, they would take the highest people in the land, normally somebody related to the kings, and they the other king would take them and make them a part of their team. But to keep them loyal, especially if they were men, they would castrate them. I mean, they would cut off their genitalia so they could they could never have children. They could never uh, have uh, affection with for women. They would only be there to serve the king. And that's just how things were back in the day. But when you were captured and they wanted you, it was not a good thing. So Daniel is a man who was young and broken down. He doesn't have what a normal man could have. He's not going to have children. He's not going to have a wife. He's going to serve this evil king, and he has no choice in the matter, and it has nothing to do with anything he did but what his leaders did and what and how they rebelled, and here he is stuck. But somehow he has this relationship with God to the point where God is using him. Instead of him being like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing in the world, he th- thrived. He grew, and if you read the story of Daniel, he became so high in even in the kingdom of Babylon. And that proves that when God is with you, I don't care what the devil has done to you. I don't care how bad it is, how awful it is. You can rise to great prominence. One of the things that the Old Testament teaches us is that these are people who went through rough, rough things and somehow they bounced back. They popped up to be amazing to the point that we're talking about them to this day, this same Daniel thrown in the lion's den and the lions would not eat him. 
So it was horrible what happened to him, but God's presence was on him so strong. He was establishing the kingdom of God to the point that we're talking about him today, reading about him today. And his book is so amazing. You read the first several chapters of his book, and they, they follow this certain pattern, this story-like pattern. But then it shifts, and then Daniel gets very prophetic. It, Daniel gets almost like revelation showing things. And, I mean, just amazing. But the backstory is he had a horrible start. But when God has his hand on you, I don't care what happens to you, you will rise, you will elevate. All right, let's move further. Verse 44, we're skipping ahead. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. Okay, that's what we're talking about right now. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. So, that's what Pastor Andre is teaching you now. This kingdom that I'm talking about that is invisible, it's the one that's actually going to last forever. So I'm trying to get us to shift our minds to that kingdom and not get caught up into this kingdom that has the American economy, the Western economy, the European economy, the African economy, all these other things, they come secondary to the kingdom of God because all those kingdoms are going to fall, fail, and pass away. There's only one kingdom that's going to last forever. So if you're saved, but you're not thinking kingdom-minded, I'm trying to get you to switch and start thinking kingdom because that's the thing that's going to last forever. That's the only thing that's going to uh, matter. Uh, the Bible even says heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will last forever. So I'm trying to give you the word that's a part of the kingdom of God so that you'll be one of the people who will be able to last all throughout eternity. But Daniel was prophesying it way back then. All right, let's look at verse 45. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands. So it shows it's not a human kingdom. It's not something you can't elect people into this kingdom. It's uh, You can't vote them into this kingdom. It's it's coming not from hands. It comes from another realm, and it's from the realm of heaven. It's God's kingdom coming to earth, on earth as it is in heaven. So that's, that's the idea. That crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. Then I love that Daniel added this. this the dream is true, and its meaning is certain. Let me, uh, let me uh, kind of lightly ghettoize it. Daniel was saying, I can guarantee this going to happen. This is it. This word is true. You can take it to the bank. You can, you can put, look, all your eggs in this basket that even though you're the most important king in the land right now, God is showing you that there's something coming that your kingdom is not going to mean anything. There's coming a day where your kingdom is going, your kingdom is actually going to mean nothing, and there is another kingdom coming. So now I, I want to actually dig a little deeper into this story. So uh, I want to show us this. This is a artist's rendering of what that statue would have looked like, a gold head, silver chest, uh, torso, bronze around the abs, ribs, and then you see uh, see the bronze going even more down toward the legs and the knees, and then iron, and then at the end, the feet were iron mixed with clay. And one of the things that you see even in this is that each time the pressure precious metal is devaluing. It's starting off in gold. So the Babylonian empire was an empire that was so strong and so amazing, but it eventually, it failed. But each time it was getting weaker to the point you get all the way down to iron mixed with clay, and that's where this uh, rock hits. It hits it at the bottom. So let's go back and look at that again. So the, ba the golden age, the Babylon the Great, or known as the Lion or the Chaldean dynasty, it lasted from 634 to 562 BC. You see King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Then there was a silver age. The and I, I, I'm not even going to pronounce that right, so I'm going to leave it alone. It's that empire, also known as the Bear. This is the Medo-Persian Empire, the Medians and the Persians. This is from 550 to 300 B.C., King Cyrus the Great. So historically, you can look back and see these dynasties that happened that actually Daniel prophesied, but actually God gave the dream to the king at that time, King Nebuchadnezzar. He's seeing actually what's going to happen in the future. And even unsaved evil kings, God will use them to see things because the Bible says that the king's heart is in God's hand. So whenever somebody rises to prominence and power, God controls because he is the ultimate power. So even though Nebuchadnezzar wasn't what you would call a godly king, God was using him because at the end of the day, all y'all work for me. I don't care what the devil is doing. The Bible called the devil, the God of this world. So the devil will prop people up and prop kings up. But God says, I don't care who you prop up. When I get good and ready, I start controlling things because I'm the ultimate power. So that's, we see that here. Then you see the Bronze Age, the Greco-Macedonian Age, also known as the Leopard. This is where we see Alexander the Great and seeing uh, what he did and how his kingdom uh, took over. Uh, the Hellenistic era, 336 to 323, and then it, it has 168 BC, and then the Iron Age, which is the Roman Empire, the beast, Western and Eastern, 44 BC to 476 AD. This is the reign of the Caesars. Now, this is very important because this is where God chose. It's in the closing of this era that God chose Jesus to be born. When Jesus was older, we hear him making a statement about a coin, said, whose inscription is on this coin? They say Caesar. He says, give to Caesar what Caesar's, give to uh, God what belongs to God. So it's that Roman empire where we see Jesus showing up. Now look at this, then we see the modern age, which is the Roman Empire, that ending of that Roman Empire into this new world order or uh, the European Union. And so uh, they call this 10 kings, 10 kingdoms. So you see those toes uh, representing 10 uh, kingdoms. And so this shows a more modern era. So, so now out of these major empires that rule the world, then it, it started changing to more a uh, collective rule where you, you have these empires, but they're not near as strong as like those other empires. So in the empires, you would see the Great Britain Empire. You see Chinese dynasty. Even America is in that. And so scholars don't know what all those ten toes represent. They're trying to figure it out. But in the midst of that, we see World War One, World War Two, where it could be on the cusp of World War Three. It's it's not one major empire ruling, it's, it's smaller empires ruling. Let's go to a, another picture. So this lays it out this way. The Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire, and then it says the Holy Roman Empire. So what others believe is that these mixture of kingdoms, these ten toes, it's not just talking about kingdoms that we see like Great Britain, the Ming Dynasty, all those other dynasties, all the way down to the power of America, the Russias, that it actually speaks of the religious kingdom that came when the Catholic Church showed up. And so th there's a whole lot of, lot of things that as you get into the end times that it gets a little confusing. God hasn't shown us everything. He shows us a little bit of a glimpse. But all we do know is that there is something that came to crush it. So now let's look at this picture. This is a rendering of what it looks like for that rock to come and hit and actually destroy from the bottom up. The left side shows one rendering 
but I like how the right side shows it because it's really more vibrant. And then it shows above this structure that sits almost like it's a heavenly structure. So it's like this rock came from heaven and it came to crush these kingdoms of the earth. And so when Jesus came, he came, he was born, he was born as a king, and he began to preach the kingdom of God. Then he goes to the cross, he dies, and then he resurrects. And then when he was resurrected, the scripture says he was resurrected with all power in his hand. It means all power. It means every other power now is subject to his power. And then he just leaves. He disappears and he tells his disciples, go into all nations and preach the gospel. That kind of seems like, it kind of seems like we lost. Like he, he died, but then he rose again and then he just leaves. And, but then he says this, he said, I've got to go because if I don't go, I can't send you the comforter who I was sent in my name. And he talks about how the comforter will come inside of us, the Holy Spirit. So when we say ask Jesus into your heart, it's not actually accurate because Jesus is not coming into your heart. But after Jesus died and left, he was able to send the Spirit and the Spirit can come into our heart. So maybe when Jesus ascended, that's the moment that that rock came and hit the kingdoms of the earth. But some of the kingdoms hadn't even been born yet. But what the scripture is letting us know, the moment Jesus left and he sent his spirit into the earth, that was the moment the kingdom came in the earth. And from that moment, no matter what kingdom comes, that kingdom is crushing all other kingdoms. And so we are a part of that kingdom. And so this is where I really begin to preach, which I'm not going to have time to do that here because I took so much time with the setup because but y'all, my good class, I got to give y'all the real, real. I got to give y'all the behind the scenes. So that's what I'm doing for you. So then I, I gave this statement on Sunday morning. When we say kingdom come, we are really saying kingdom grow because the kingdom is here now. And we know exactly the moment it arrived. It arrived when God's will was fulfilled. So when was God's will fulfilled? When Jesus came, his death burial, and resurrection, and ascension. That's when his full will was fulfilled. How do we know that? Because his original will was, I'm God, I'm created heaven, and I'm creating earth. I live in heaven, I reside in heaven, I got these angels and stuff with me, but I'm not really happy with that. I actually walked to put somebody on earth that looks like me. So the Bible says he created man in his image, put him on earth. And the first thing you see in Genesis 1, he said he gave man dominion, dominion, which is the, the other half of the word kingdom. So he is the king, but he wanted to have dominion. He's got dominion on in heaven because he's God. But he said, I actually want dominion on earth. But the Bible says he subjected earth to vanity. He's like, I don't want angels. I don't want robots. The angels obeyed me because basically they seen what happened to the devil. So they like, we ain't tripping. We, we with you. So they don't really choose. He's like, I actually want some people who will choose to love me. And so I'm going to put them in this earth. I'm going to put my image on them, the imago Dei. You are the, in the image of a deity, the image of God. You were created in the image of God. Don't know what God looks like, but he must look similar to man because we were created in his image after his likeness. And he breathed in us the breath of life. Man became a living soul. And after that, the first thing he says is he gave man dominion. I want you to dominate. He said, I'm giving you dominion over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air. He created all that other stuff first. He created man last. He created the earth, he filled the earth with all this stuff. 
Then he told man, go dominate. In other words, this is what I do in heaven. I run everything, but I want some people just like me to run stuff on the earth. Well, then we understand that the devil had fallen to the earth and for whatever reason, Adam and Eve bought into it and they gave dominion back to Satan. So the whole gospel story from Genesis chapter 3 all the way up to the resurrection and ascension of Jesus is how God was restoring the kingdom, saying, I'm trying to get man back to the place where they have dominion. They messed it up. They fouled it up. And so I already made up in my mind, if this goes left, I'll send my own son. In other words, actually, we're actually going to come and rescue it. But we're not rescuing it to basically live in it because heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. I want y'all to run the earth. And so we know the moment that the kingdom came. It came when Jesus finished God's will, and now man has dominion again. Well, having dominion and coming from not having dominion, we actually had to learn. So things had to grow. So Jesus leaves, and one of the first things that happens is the disciples, they're kind of confused. But he gave them an instruction. I want you to tarry. I want you to wait until you are endued with power from on high. We know 50 days later, they were in the, uh, uh, they were all in one place, in the upper room, in one accord. The Holy Spirit came. Fire came. And the next thing you know, we've got this whole movement. And now, today, we are who we are because of what started. So, the question is, are we going to lose the momentum? Down through the years, the momentum has been lost because now all these other religions have popped up. Islam is at least 700 years after the advent of Christianity. But now it's taken over a lot of the world. People are worshiping it. Uh, some of the ancient Far East uh, religions, they were before Christianity. But a lot of those people were turning. But then somehow we lost a lot of steam. And one of the, the reasons why we lost steam, and I'm going to actually go backwards. And it is because of this, what we call the Holy Roman Empire. So let me explain something to you uh, before we get out of here. So the devil, as dumb as he is, he'd wised up at some point. So the first thing that we see after Jesus' ascension, after the uh, the people get the Holy Spirit, 3,000 were uh, saved in one day, and Jerusalem had start turning around. The next thing uh, Satan did, he started persecuting the church, and they started dispersing. They started going here and there, but the more he persecuted them, the more the uh, more Christianity actually grew. They weren't even called Christians until Antioch, which is later. They were they used to be called the Way. They would say, "This is the Way. We're from the Way." But it grew and grew and grew, and it kept expanding. It kept expanding for years, and then Satan wised up, and instead of attacking the church from without, he decided to attack the church from within, and that's been his major goal from then on. So uh, around 300 uh, A.D., you see something... uh, later called the Council of Nicaea, where we get the Nicene Creed, which is a very powerful creed. But then you, you see an emperor called Constantine, and Constantine, for whatever reason, there's different ideas why he did it. I won't get into that. But then he makes the church the state religion. He uh, elevates things, and then you start getting the Catholic church, and then you start getting popes, bishops, a lot of things happen. But the point that I'm making and the reason why that, I'll go back to it again, why it calls it the Holy Roman Empire is because Satan wised up and he started attacking from within. And people started putting, and said the love of God, the power of God, the anointing of God, they started putting that down to structures and power and bishops and popes and 
these laws and these rules. And then what started happening is Christianity turned into a religion to where it was not about relationship anymore. It was about religion and rule. And then something happened with a guy named Martin Luther. And Martin Luther protest is who Martin Luther King was named after. He actually protests is where we get Protestant churches from. So the Baptists, the Methodists, the Lutherans, all those are called Protestant churches because they come out of the protest. Because Martin Luther starts looking and saying, this is not the original idea we've gotten off. It's supposed to be not, it's supposed to be about grace and, and uh, faith. It's not supposed to be about all this other stuff. And so wars were fought. And so things happened where people were killed. The Crusades, where people were forced to be Christians and being killed. It was totally outside of the mindset that God had. But that never trips God out because God has always had a church within a church. He's always had an underground church. He's always had what he calls a remnant. And so from that Catholic, which Catholic just means universal, that's all it means, from the universal church came the protest, they came Protestant churches. But now we're coming to a time where God is touching everything. He's going back and touching Catholic people. They're getting touched with the presence of God. The Protestants are getting touched with the presence of God. Now, Muslims are starting having dreams about Jesus. And, and I mean, God, as the ending of the age comes, as the kingdom of God is growing and expanding in us, things are shifting. What has happened is this other kingdoms are starting to fall because that main kingdom hit right down. It hit right down at those feet. It hit in the time of all these other modern era. We'll go back once again, that modern era, the new age, that's when the kingdom of God grows the most. Or under even the Holy Roman, uh, where religion comes, that's where the kingdom hits. And so basically what I'm saying to us, we are in the best time of all human history because we are at the time where the kingdom really begins to grow and other things begin to crumble. So when the world starts crumbling and the world system starts crumbling and economies start crumbling and people start freaking out and because America is not what it used to be, you see people storming the Capitol and crazy things going on. That's not the time for us to flip out. That's when we realize, wow, the kingdom is actually doing what it was supposed to do. It has come and it has hit. What took it so long? We messed up a bunch of stuff, but we're here now and the kingdom is expanding. It's growing. Things are happening. I want to go just a little bit over time. Not much, but let's, let's look at this prophecy in Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11, 1, out of the stump of David's family will grow a, sh a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. So there it is. When everything was cut down, something is still growing. Even though it's small, it's growing. And then it begins to grow large. And so what we've seen, it's been small increments, but we're in the time where it's about to blossom and grow, grow and we're going to be a part of it. Deliverance Temple, we are going to be a part of the end time move of God that's going to balance everything. It's going to turn things, instead of being upside down, it's going to turn things right side up. And then we'll see the second coming of the Lord. We will also see what some people call the rapture, and then we'll see the second coming. All these other things that uh, are part of eschatology that are deep, we're going to be a part of it. We don't have to know it all. I'm just getting you prepared that we are going to be a part of it. When I took over years ago, I started talking about the Acts because that Acts church is important because we're going to, it's going to be like that. We see how the move of God happened. We see how uh, uh, Paul's, uh, no, Peter's shadow was healing people. The handkerchiefs that Paul touched was causing amazing things to happen. Miracles are breaking out. That's going to happen in our day in age two. We're coming back to it. All right, so I'm going to skip ahead to this final thing that we're declaring. I'm, not, I'm skipping all through Isaiah 11. Go back and look at the full message if you want to see it. Let's look at this. This is what we are doing. We are bringing in the kingdom when we worship the righteous, rightful king. We are allowing that rock to hit those toes and topple everything that's not like God. We are reversing the works of the kingdom of darkness. We are declaring God is king 
and his kingdom starts in me. So not worrying about that rock hitting anything. First thing, I want that rock to fall in me and tear up all the junk that's in me. The statue that's in me that keeps me from doing the will of God, I want the kingdom to first come in me, start in me, and crumble everything not like God in me first. So I'm not worried about anybody else. I'm worried about me. I want to be that little root that grows up out of that cut down st stump. Cut down everything in me that's not like you. And if you got to rebuild me from the ground up, I'm okay with it because I know where we're going. So first come in me. Let's say it again. We're reversing the works of the kingdom of darkness. We are declaring God is king and his kingdom starts in me. And here's how we end it. May your kingdom come, righteous king. You first came for me. You showed up in the manger and you came to earth for me. I allowed your kingdom to come in me. I believed in your work on the cross and I accepted it. I accepted your Holy Spirit. So now you, you came for me and now I'm allowing your kingdom to come in me. And I want to see your kingdom established through me. So now we want, we don't want to just keep talking about, oh man, no, the world is getting bad. This is the end times. The world is getting bad. No, we want to produce the kingdom the kingdom to come through us so that Jesus can come back because he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for a church that is advancing the kingdom. So we're, we're tired of playing church. We're trying to get our behinds off the, the bench. We're trying to get in the game and we're trying to usher in the kingdom. We start with us, start with our family, start with our church, start with our city, and we're bringing in the kingdom. And as we do, Things are going to shift and change. And the people who are in the crumbling kingdom, they're going to be looking for an escape. And here, here we are with open arms, communicating Christ's love compassionately, saving and delivering people, telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus came for you. He's willing to come in you. And now he's going to work through you. We have the answer. We have the gospel message. But we got to stop playing we got to stop worrying about who's the pastor, who's the bishop, whose church is right, who's going to hell. we got to stop all that dumb stuff, stop sending the whole world to hell because they mess up, and start declaring to them, hey, the kingdom is here, and it came for you, and you can be a part of it, and you can have a future. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we have been doing. But now I'm teaching you why we do what we do, why we go through the hell we go through, not just to escape to heaven, but to bring the kingdom of God now and make a difference now. We are difference makers. Somebody asked me once, and I promise I'll close with this. Somebody asked me once, what, like, what is your purpose in life? Like if somebody was to ask you, what was your purpose? If you could just give them like a one sentence, what's your purpose, Andre? I said, my purpose is to make a difference. That's all I'm here. I'm trying to make a difference in the land, a difference for God. Only what I do for Christ will last. Yes, I want a new Cadillac, but that is secondary to me making a difference. I'm trying to impact you with the kingdom of God. So after you've met me and spent time with me, you can say he made a difference in my life. And if I'm doing that, the people under me, the people who follow me, y'all are, are, I'm raising you up to be difference makers. And so having said that, we are closing with that kingdom come, kingdom come. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. God, you're really allowing me to impart to this Bible study crew the deep things of God. God, I know you'll lead them on their own studies at some point, but you're allowing me to give them some deep stuff so they know when they come to church, they're not just coming to church. It's much deeper than that. They're part of an amazing, amazing kingdom that is growing, that's filling up the earth, but it's coming to a place where it's getting ready to take over. And we're going to be a part of the takeover. And God, I thank you for everything Satan has thrown at us to try to get us to give up because it's proven to us we're on the right path and we are going to make a difference. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, God bless you. We love you dearly. Uh, I want you to know that God's love is on you. And we are signing off. Thank you for uh, watching. Much love to you. Signing off.